Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grindin' shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kids, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Hey everybody, welcome to Fresh is the Word Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier, and this is episode 177. And the guest for this episode is Anastasia Lynn, subject of the new documentary, Badass Beauty Queen, the story of Anastasia Lynn. Lynn is an award-winning actress, former Miss World Canada, and a human rights activist, and has appeared in over 20 films and television production. She often works at the confluence of activism and acting, playing roles that carry messages of freedom, human rights, and ethics. And also, as a model, she's made appearances on runways around the world, including the New York Fashion Week show at the prestigious Waldorf Astoria. And what brings her on the podcast is about the documentary Badass Beauty Queen. Anastasia made headlines around the world when she stood up for religious freedom and brought attention to the issue of organ harvesting in her homeland of China during her campaign to be Miss World. However, she was labeled persona non grata in her homeland and denied entry to China to compete in the pageant final on the world stage. Anastasia has persisted in her request to speak on the issues that she believes in and has spoken in front of Congress and has been featured in publications as the New York Times and has appeared on CNN. And this documentary, The Baddest Beauty Queen, sort of details this journey. And during our conversation, we talked about how she's used beauty pageants as her platform for activism and why she didn't quit after China started threatening her family back in China how being an actress helps with her activism, her dealings with the Chinese government, the making of the documentary, and her future plans. 
So let's get on to the interview with Anastasia Lynn. So I watched the the Badass Beauty Queen documentary. It was uh, the story of the you know the persecution that you got in regards to speaking out, you know, during these you know beauty contests that you are a part of. Why do you want to bring bring things out in this documentary about everything that you went through? Yeah, like at the time when I first formed Miss World Canada. I had a very vague idea about what the platform could possibly be because I had um, I seen like one Miss World in the past that was a human rights activist and she was she's done some quite successful job rescuing a girl from Iran from being uh, executed. So I just thought, oh wow! So if that's the power of beauty pageant, that's something I can do immediately. That was like my 23 year old self uh, before I went into Miss World Canada for the first time, and I have. Made films about, like I, I acted in films about the stories of uh, victims uh, of Chinese labor camp because of their freedom of speech or freedom of uh, religion that sort of been persecuted. So um, I just, at that time, it was very vague. Yeah. My idea about human rights was also very general, like many people in today's society, I'd say, probably never really experienced. Um, immediate like uh invasion of human rights or even just personal things that are very common in the west but over there it's a totally different story um so i felt like i should do something about it and most of the time these victims from china like follicle practitioners or tibetans uh or uyghurs some of their stories are really um courageous and the turmoil they went through are horrible, but they're so courageous and they deserve to be heard. So I felt like I probably can do something with the beauty pageant. And people will like to watch beauty pageants. It's, um, it's entertaining. It's much easier than watching a human rights documentary. So that was my original idea going into doing beauty pageants. And also the glamour side of things is very attractive. <laughs> um, but then after I won this World Canada, that's when things hit the fan. Um, because I ran on a human rights platform, so the Chinese government took it way more seriously than anybody else, even myself. And they saw that, oh, this girl is like a warrior that's about to like launch this campaign against us. So they went into my father's, like, I don't know how they threatened him, but my father sent me a text message saying that the Chinese security, uh, national security has came to him and said that if I don't stop talking, then my family will be persecuted like in the Cultural Revolution. So he was pleading me to give my family in China a way to survive. And then after that, it was just, I was, I never really faced something like that. I've heard a lot of stories about how the Chinese, um, you know, police or security agents from the National Security Bureau going to dissidents or overseas Chinese their families in China, their homes, and to threaten those people are like destroy their businesses. I heard a lot of story like that. Um, like we hear some of them on the media, like New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. They all report on them. But the thing is, there are a lot more in real life, and usually people don't speak up about it because they don't want to endanger their families in China furthermore or their properties. So uh, majority of the people keep silent. And um, when it happened to me, I was like. 25 at the time. 
I just won Miss World Canada. I was about to graduate university. Um, yeah, I went to Toronto supposedly to study acting, <laughs> and I went to University of Toronto. But most of my undergrad years I spent on film sets, so I took some time to finish on my undergrad. But I actually didn't know that at the time. But um, anyways, back to uh, Miss World. Then after I won, these media, like some of them heard about how my father, how my father was threatened through my personal friends. Uh, one of my friends is a Canadian journalist, but I told him like not to tell other people. But then he told someone else, and that journalist was really interested. And then he somehow convinced me that if I speak out about the threat that was against my father because I exercised my freedom of speech in Canada as a Canadian citizen, then it will probably provide more protection for my father in China because usually without any immediate attention from the West or government attention or like uh, Western government don't speak up about certain cases, the persecution in China gets worse. It doesn't get better. Right. So that's why uh, when Washington Post invited me to write an op-ed about it, I did. And things just sort of went from there. Uh, and then at the time, two weeks after I was crowned for Canada, the location of the final that year from this world was moved from Australia to China two weeks after I won. And I was like, oh, wow, so now I'm going into China myself. Right. I thought at the time. And at the same time, I received an invitation letter from American U.S. Congress to invite me to testify about the situation um, my situation, also the situation of minorities, persecution in China. And I was like in this dilemma, and I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. And at that time, um, the film producers, they approached me. Uh, they were very interested in making, like just following my story. No one knows where it was going to go at the time. Right. Um, but it was a very fluid situation. But everybody is really excited, except for me, because I really wanted to go to the final. Um, and I think for the 25-year-old me, I didn't place human rights as this, like, one big super objective of my life. It was never like that. It was something I heard about, and I feel something should be done about it. I heard about the, I talked to the victims, I feel like it's really unjust. If I have a chance, I will talk about their story. But I was so young, right. and I know so little. And... The depth of their pain, I felt it. That's why I was up to take some action. But I did not know the kind of pressure was so much for a 25-year-old to take. And then when it came closer to the final day in China, um, everybody is supposed to get a Chinese visa, in, I mean, invitation from the Chinese government in order to apply for a Chinese visa in order to go to uh, right. China to participate in Miss World. But as Canada, I, I never got an invitation letter from uh, the government, and I discovered um, just asking other Miss World uh, around the world, they all got their invitation letter, and it seems I was the only one that didn't get it. Of course. Yeah. And so that's when I realized, wow, so they already sort of singled me out in this process, and if I don't speak now, like, they will just pretend that I don't exist. So... And then at the same time, um, the American media, especially the Washington Post, was really help, like really helping me to. Uh, they wrote an editorial about it, about how China is censoring a contestant of international competition they're hosting. 
Yeah. Being that you were being being that you were so young, and then they're also you know threatening your father. You know, even though having editorials like the uh, the one with um, Washington Post to sort of bring attention to it, so that maybe you know the the persecution of your family would be less over there. Why did you still keep on going? You know, for most people, they would have just maybe stopped or just tried to disappear or would have just shut up at that point. You know, why did you feel like you needed to continue on? Oh, the thought of disappearing continuously appeared in my mind throughout the last four years. <laughs> it's, a, it's a constant self-examining process, I guess. Part of me feels like this is really not my fight. I mean, I was placed almost in that situation um, by, like, exterior force. I, when I was younger, I did not feel like that that was my first choice of career, and I don't see human rights as a career. I think, like, it's a, it's a passion. It's, like, it's almost like politics, I can say, because you are actually trying to change policies. Yeah. Um, be it you know dictatorial regime or a, a democracy, but still, like I you know, I didn't learn about like human rights. I was not a I was a political science and history and drama major, but I was a drama major first, <laughs> and I'm an actress. And so I felt like this is outside my arena. But then there is also the victims when they come to me and they tell me about what they had been through. And that kind of experience is just not, it's not something that you can really ignore after you listen to them and you see them standing in front of you with their pain but still living on. And it's almost like it's just wrong and it made me feel like I need to not fix it, but I need to make this hurt. Their story needs to be told. So that was almost like, a, I don't care about the consequence. I'm just going to do this and see whatever is going to happen kind of drive inside me. So it's constantly conflicting, and it's still conflicting today. When I want to live just like a normal North American, I live in New York right now, and it makes me actually feel better because the confrontation of the city itself is already <laughs> very high. It actually makes me feel like my personal life is quite relaxed. Um, but yeah, it, I, it, I guess what really made me going is to, I realized through this experience, even though I was put in a place that's extremely uncomfortable, and my family made huge sacrifices. To this day, my grandparents and my father cannot come out of China. My father's passport renewal is denied, so he doesn't even have a passport. My grandparents, their Hong Kong visa was taken away when they planned the trip to come to Hong Kong to see me, because I'm persona non grata in China, I can't even answer. Um, and my family just, they can't see each other anymore. My mom can't visit her parents, um, she's Canadian. So, like, I just, my family took so much. But at the same time, I learned a lot about myself. And I, I learned how resilient I could be if I found, find the strength in me and if I want to. And I found that my family, they are also incredibly brave. I think only when you face trial or difficulties, you really see the quality of people. And that's just amazing. It's something that so beyond the current difficulties that we're facing. It's like a spirit of the human being that is like the essence. It's what's most precious about us. You know what I mean? Right. Definitely. Definitely. 
do um do you still have are you still in contact with your father and your grandparents and if so like what do they feel about everything that you're doing um i cannot like i can't speak for them but i feel like first of all our conversation conversations phone conversations uh are monitored they know that their phones are being listened to the police visit their home like routinely um, make threats, make whatever, I try to get them to persuade me and my mom, that kind of thing. And so we know that our conversations are not free and private. So, and they live in China, so they can't possibly express their true thoughts. But I know they're proud of me and this. I could hear it. I, like in the ways that we communicate, I know that they're proud of me. And like not like proud. Oh, like you you did something that that sort of had right. some kind of impact. But more like, you know, we always know what you are and we believe in you. That kind. Of, it doesn't matter what you do or what you right. achieve or not achieve. Kind of proudness. It's it's family and it's very human and it's very compassionate. And I feel just that is, yeah. That's what I can say. Um, Your, you know, your background is being an actress. How does that help with the things that you do as an activist? It's extremely helpful. I feel like if I'm not an actress, I wouldn't be able to do this. Because acting is a self-examining process constantly. And it's a, a sort of a process or a, like imaginative exercise to put yourself in other people's shoes and really feel... What, like the human experience and through that I felt the victim thing one of my movies the bleeding edge actually I acted as a victim of human rights in China and it, she was went through tons of torture but electronic baton shocking the body the head the shoulder um, gain rate bamboo sticks stuck on their fingernails force feeding inserting a tube through the nose all the way down to the stomach when they go on hunger strike just to force them to eat these things happen in Chinese labor camp, and they're still happening today. And so, like, these people that I spoke to and interviewed for my role, some are Falun Gong practitioners. Um, I also, like, talked to some Uyghur people. Like, I had to learn their physicality, and I had to learn their, their psychology um, in that situation. And at the beginning, I sensed just all fear. Like, this is crazy. I don't know why they would say, like, for some Falun Gong practitioner, I don't know why they would, they would okay, uh, do you know what Falun Gong is? I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over the place. I feel like Go ahead. Falun Gong is like this Chinese Buddhist Taoist-inspired yoga practice, and they have a spiritual side, which is like basically Chinese traditional belief okay. um, yeah. blended into one. And so that's why after Cultural Revolution, when people don't really believe in anything anymore, um, this practice came out as like a yoga. It's really just like, peaceful and good for your body, um, like health. And so like, a lot of older grandmas, they practice it. But because it's rooted in like Chinese philosophy, you know, Buddhist philosophy. And so it's really inspiring too, to have one to be like, quiet down the outside noises and really listen to one's heart and figure out what you really truly want for yourself. Right. And so a lot of people, they really like it. But then it grew so big, it was like 70 million Chinese people practicing it by 1999. And the communists were just like, this is way too much. Uh, too many people, and they don't believe in communism. So that's not good. 
and they just started persecution. And after the persecution started, a lot of them were thrown to jail. And they ha would go through this process of torture, basically to force them to sign a paper that says that they don't, they give up, they don't do it anymore, they don't practice anymore, and uh, they are going to help to like sort of persuade other people to do it. So it's like this manipulating force process. And so a lot of people, they don't want to do that because they just don't believe in communism anymore. And so they die. In, in, like they, they are tortured to death in the middle of like trying to get them to do all these things by the police. Um, like the, they don't suicide. I mean, by they die, I mean like they're tortured to death. Right. So I spoke to a lot of people who survived that process, and they told me what they've been through. They lost family. They lost their jobs. They've been tortured. And I was just like, how can you do that? Why don't you just sign it? Like, I don't find the strength inside myself in that situation to just, like, do that. And then I find they told me that there's something that's really bigger than fear itself. And once they find that, it's almost like humanity is what's inside of you. It's the core. Okay. And you don't want to give that up anymore and live a fake, like, a, a life that's, like... What I want to ask is... Whether it's the stuff that you're, these people that you're interviewing for these, these roles that you're playing, or with you know all the stresses and all the things that you have to talk about uh, through the activism, talking about your experiences, how do you personally sort of deal with the mental health aspect of that? Um, I think the Chinese Communist Party is really responsible for my therapist bill. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Not easy. Uh, yeah, I, I went through therapy. I went to therapist and even with the trauma that like I personally, it's not even any kind of person intimidation, but this whole thing that I've been through in the last few years, like I have PTSD from it. And even my friends, very close friends and family realized that I sometimes have these kind of panic attacks that, um, occasionally like most of the time when something is good that's happening to me for example like a career or a job and i would have the fear that good things will end right away and it, they they just won't happen to me that kind of negativity and um kind of believe that that came from what i've been through um taking all that pressure onto myself because when when that thing happened to my dad like there's I felt so vulnerable because there's no one I can go to. Like, I can't call the Canadian police, right? They have no jurisdiction in China. I can't call the Chinese police because they're the one that's threatening my dad. Yeah. You literally had no one to go to. And they all probably think you're crazy, media. too. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you can go to the, uh, the, the media and then they probably will do something and you'll have to see what happened. Right, it's all right. All in the unknown. And so... Um, for me, I just carried this like huge uncertainty on my shoulder. And then also I felt like it was a responsibility um, for a very long time. And I feel like being an actress really helped me because I can channel it through my art. And also I can also separate that part. I now learned to compartmentalize all that and just try to focus on the little details and things that I go through in the present in my life here in New York. And that helps tremendously. Um, cooking helps, being in touch with nature, and just smell the plants, five senses to keep me here, right here in the present, and not think about the darkness really helps. 
Does that make any sense? Oh, Sorry. definitely, definitely. It's so abstract. Yeah, I, no. I don't know. Um, I, like, at one point, I felt like this is not some, my life is ruined because I want to be an actress. And, you know, so many Hollywood studios nowadays are um, bought by China. And we hear a lot of stories about how Hollywood movies, they manipulate the script to kowtow to Chinese government. Um, like what is supposed to be like a Chinese communist as the um, villain in the movie, they change to North Korean or someone else. Um, and so there's so much money involved from China now here. And a lot of people, like, they worry for me that, oh, are you going to, like, not even have a career that's sort of uncensored here in the West? And I worry about that, too. You see the Chinese infiltration in the West is also really prominent. There are Confucius instituting many universities, and because they're funding, these universities sometimes cancel my film screening. Or if I have, like, a debate in university, uh, the Chinese Student Association, which is, have direct link with the consulate and the embassy from, of China, would, uh, like, complain and make protests. And these are not, like, organic protests. They're organized and with a strategy and the aim to further the communists, uh, their, their interests. So these things, they make me feel more defeated sometimes. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah, that's something I didn't really think about that for someone like you that is a part of the entertainment industry, that China does have such a stronghold in that industry over here that your sort of, you know, role with uh, your, the way you're looked upon by the Chinese government will, you know, definitely have an effect on what, you know, what things you can do over here on the other side of the planet. You know, that must be very frustrating. Um, yeah, it is very frustrating. But there is also hope. Like, in the past, I always let that kind of darkness get me. And it's like being an actress is hard enough to try to make it in the industry. Now, on top of that, you have all these, like, censorship and difficulty that might be really prohibiting stopping me from having a career but then i think of these victims like they've been through hell in china and they describe this kind of endless darkness for them it's like if combat regime is there and not gone then their darkness will continue even if they're released from labor camp and i heard this from a a, a victim who told me that uh, even if you're released from labor camp, you don't feel really happy because you know you're, you're going to come back again. And you know that as long as the persecution doesn't end, you're going to come back here again and again and again until like one day you don't survive the torture and you die. And it's like, wow, so what is there to live for? Right. And I felt like that a little bit, like not to that level, but just like my dream is to be a successful actress. And my craft is everything to me. It gives me like the life energy that really fulfills my soul. And if I cannot do that because of foreign government, that's like, that's actually nothing to do with my life, really. Except for they hate me and hate my family. Like, oh, am I gonna, is my dream gonna be destroyed because of that? But then I think, no, I don't think evil has the final word. I think in many times in history, and I read this a lot in literature too, 
that it's not a miracle that happened. It's that human determination sometimes lead to miraculous things that happen. Right. And if you keep going and you don't think about the darkness, you don't think about it, you will attract good things. Like, it's not even about attracting. It's just it will happen to you. Right. If you don't give up. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely and agree I, with that. I think now I don't even... I don't even aim for a result anymore because if I think about results, that is a, like a thing that I cannot think about. If I can just focus on the present and see where life takes me, that's a much better, easier way to live. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. And that, that kind of goes into something else I want to talk about is that what is the, the conversations that need to continue to happen in regards to the things that you're trying to fight against you know what what needs to be in the public eye still i think first of all something that's directly related to our interest in the west is especially in north america especially in america is like the whole trade issue with china right now america is like kind of in a trade war with china and that's actually in my opinion really good for the people in both countries China has become the factory of the world for the past like two decades or so. And like that kind of manufacturing like cheap labor and using the resources of, of that's on the land of China has really destroyed the environment, has made the people work for like extremely low pay and a lot of it is slave labor that are made in concentration camps and labor camps with no cost whatsoever and in really bad environmental and safety standards like environment and those things are not good for us and Chinese people don't even trust the quality of things that are made in China and why would we import all these things that could potentially be poisonous and it has happened in the past that like toys tire like milk formula that are poisonous that are imported from China it's like that's not good for us right so shop conscious conscientiously and be mindful of these things I think it's going to be very helpful. I'm not saying like boycott Chinese products because I think that's kind of like not possible. But in the documentary, there is a campaign that I wanted to start. It's called Turn It Over. So it's basically about like you look at where the products are from and you think about the process, the stories, how it's made. If it's made in a labor camp, where people are being tortured every day, work for like 20 hours a day under extremely harsh conditions. And they shouldn't even be there in the first place. They may be just a, um, a person who wanted to practice yoga right. or a person who spoke their mind in public. And they ended up there. The resentment, the, the sadness that goes into the product. How could it possibly be good for us? It's, you know, it's, it's it's like a really heavy thing to think about when you're like, yo, where did this product come from and who, how many people were hurt in doing so? Yeah. Would you want like us, we ourselves or our children to wear clothes or be in touch with things like that? And plus, like this, some of the inmates I heard, and this is a real story from like the Chinese concentration camp. Um, because they're being beaten up a lot, and there are like people who are actually stolen gangsters or like prostitutes uh, that ended up in labor camps, and because they they have so much hate, so they would like sometimes after they've been tortured, their blood, their body fluid, and things that they just like they smudge it on the clothes. This is a true story, 
because they, they're so resentful. And like that's full of hate. If the maker of the product express their hate through the product, how, why do we want them? Why are we even buying them to sort of help to facilitate this kind of torture? If a Chinese labor product has no business outside in the West, they'll probably stop making it because there's no market. But precisely because we keep buying them because they're cheap. We first give up our own manufacturing job in the West. The blue collar workers, the factory workers here will lose their job and the factory will close down and their mall moves to China to be made in such an environment. How is that wise? It's a heavy thing that we all kind of, yeah, we all give up sort of, you know, hey, we want to buy it cheap, but then like what went into all of that? It is a heavy thing, man. It's crazy. Yeah, like I've been trying to <laughs> buy stuff that are sort of at least claimed to be ethically made, right? And I have friends who, uh, like for example, one of them is called Fashion for Freedom. Um, they really just try to make products that are like they know where the source is. And now even more, I try to get local tailors and um, like bag manufacturers to like I order things that are just made for myself. And I feel that's a lot better. Um, it's closer to me. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, nowadays, you know, aside from the, the documentary Badass Beauty Queen, you know, what are, what are you working on? You know, what, what are some projects that you're involved in? Um, I'm here in New York. I, like, there's a TV series I'll be um, acting in. It's sort of like, Mostly Asian cast, not all Asian cast because they're two um, Caucasian lawyers, I think. Um, and it talks about the Chinese immigrants' life here and how it, they're not completely free from like where they come from, and their business and family in China are being threatened. Um, it's not really just about that, but there is an aspect to it. It's called The Rising Sun. That's a um, TV series, and there are several other projects I'm working on, but mostly I think with the human rights side of things, I want to move it to a more tangible, because I have been traveling around the world talking about human rights issues, different kind of issues, organ harvesting, uh, persecution of minorities in China, even uh, labor camps and all that. But I find the actions that outside worlds are the Western world are willing to take based on ethics and moral is very little. People, politicians are not prompting to action because something is the right thing to do. It's like everybody's driven by interest and that's totally understandable. I'm, I'm right. saying no criticism of that because that's sort of the way that human beings operate unless they find a higher self, which happened to a lot of people like Mother Teresa. But then the thing is, um, I don't feel like I should continue to use my energy in such a non-productive manner. Right. You know what I mean? I've done my best with the platform I can. And that way of the human rights activism, now I want to move to something that's substantial. We want to talk about trade. We want to talk about slave labor. We want to pin out those companies who are importing and sourcing products from, from these really painful places in China. And we want to stop them from coming to our country, these products. So, yeah, that sounds good to me. 
<laughs> How do you feel that you can do it in a more tangible way to where it can be sustainable to yourself and you, you feel a little bit more satisfied with, you know, the, the output that you're doing? I've been writing articles and doing TV interviews on subjects, and I think, well, just watch me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, along with uh, along with just you know trying to make things sustainable for yourself, what's you know what do you feel like more so the future has in store for you? Where would you like to be in the future in regards to? being an actress, activism. Is there anything else outside of those that you would want to be doing also? Uh, besides being an actress? Yeah, besides being an actress or, uh, you know, doing any sort of... Yeah, besides being an actress, is there anything else that you would love to, you know, experience or dip your toes in or make a part of your career? Acting is my dream. Like, not my dream. I feel like dream is dream or passion are two, like, superficial words for what it means for me. Um, I like craftsmanship. Okay. It's interesting how, like, this research and learning to everything about the slave labor sort of made me um, more interested in traditional craftsmanship. Not, it doesn't even have to be traditional. But things that human beings put their souls and energy to work, like into, be it products, art, or something like that. Because okay. that, that, I feel like, is in direct contrast with the things that I, like, I'm sort of fighting with. <laughs> um, is that what you mean? Or what, what do I want to do in the future besides... Yeah, that's, you know, anything like that. You know, if there's anything else that you have, any other interests that you have, you know, that you might want to be a part of in the future, um, anything, any ideas for projects outside of of being an actress that you might want to, uh, you know, do in the future? Uh, yes, a lot of them. I'm a pianist. I love playing piano. Okay. Um, that's, oh, that's a failed project of my mother. She wanted me to be a professional pianist and have a peaceful life and look how things <laughs> and complete opposite <laughs> yeah um and also i love sailing i think if i live in a perfect world free of any kind of responsibilities or even like most moral so-called moral responsibility i impose on myself i would love to sail around the world with global ocean race and i want to take adventures to like extreme conditions far corners of the world and i just feel like experiencing being a human being first that is such a privilege and i have privilege right now and i think being through everything and listening to so many sad stories make me realize that there's so much more we can make out of ourselves and we might not know what that is yet but sure like don't give up the drive to try to explore and experience um, and so I guess I have to find it. Right. And speaking of privilege, you know, what parts of your life do you feel like you're, you're actually lucky to have, you know, what are some things where you're just like happy that, you know, maybe after all this, you know, really terrible stuff has happened, like 
this is something that that's that silver lining, you know, what's those things where you're like, I'm glad this is me. Sorry. I apologize on behalf of that New York truck that just was in front of me. Um, I, I feel actually what my privilege, I feel like everything that's been given to me and happened to me is a privilege of its own. Even though people may say that, Oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah. That's the first response. But, I feel like going through everything that I have been through made me, brought me so much closer to myself. And I don't think without those experiences, I would be able to uh, know that simple fact that a true power exists inside me, not outside. And if without going through all that, if the Chinese government hasn't threatened my father, I, I think I will still be 29 years old. I'm 29 years old now. Oh, my God. Um, like <laughs> looking for the external and trying to find validation from the outside. But when everything, and one moment I really felt like everything was taken away from me. When you cannot seek, you can no longer seek, no matter how hard you try, to get safety or validation from the outside world. The only place you can sit is inside. And... Um, like, that's basically what happened to me when I first, uh, my father was first threatened. Because he's been um, the support of my life, like emotional support, spiritual support, and he's also my financial support. He was at that time. And now that his business and everything is destroyed, like, business is destroyed um, by the Communist Party. And I, yeah, that was very scary to have that blanket pulled under me and to no longer have any safety net beneath. But it's also a very freeing position, you know? Like, after going through something like that, you just feel like, ah, actually, I'm still fine. I'm still living. I'm still breathing. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we as humans are more resilient sometimes than we uh, give ourselves credit for. Yeah. Yeah. As an ancient philosopher, I think it was Confucius said, Part of my colorful language. Shit happens. So <laughs> that's I'm trying to imprint in my brain. And I think I'm starting to feel like I'm able to deal with that. Yep. Yeah. I often use I often use those two words myself to explain things. Because sometimes shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks for talking to me uh, it's been very interesting so uh thanks for uh coming on the podcast where can people go online to get more information about what you're up to and about the documentary okay i'm really old so go on facebook and i have a facebook page um, <laughs> and also i have a like they, you can find my documentary on itunes or amazon um and a lot of other platforms, which I don't even use myself, but they are wonderful platforms. Um, and also my website. Yeah. <laughs> it's been great talking with you, yeah. Anastasia. Um, good luck with everything. I uh, hope everything in your life turns out great. You know, well, thank you so much. It was really nice chatting with you. So that was my interview with Anastasia Lynn, the documentary badass beauty queen is available now go to badassbeautyqueen.film for more information about where you can view it or purchase it
And there will be more links in the show notes for this episode at freshestthepodcast.com to where you can follow Anastasia Lynn online and also get more information about the Badass Beauty Queen, the documentary. So thank you again for listening to the podcast. And just a reminder that if you want to support Fresh of the Word, all you got to do is head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh of the word. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can support Fresh of the Word. And for the $3 a month tier, you'll have access to the Patreon-only podcast episodes where I dig deep into my audio archives for interviews that I've done outside of Fresh of the Word for over the past decade of interviews that I've used for other publications or that I've never used at all. A lot of stuff in my archives, and I have a lot of good stuff already posted on my Patreon in regards to that. Um, I'm trying to do five episodes a month. I usually try to drop them all at the same time. So go to patreon.com slash fresh of the word and support what you can each month. It'll help out a lot. And you can go and stream uh, Fresh the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And if you can, please leave a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts, and that would definitely help out the, the, the show. And if you do uh, leave a rating and review, uh, let me know. You can email me at djkfresh at gmail.com or hit me up on any of my social medias. I'm at kfresh is the word on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, that's probably the best place to uh, hit me up and also if you go to facebook.com slash groups slash fresh is the word you can uh, join the fresh is the word uh, facebook group and there's a lot of great discussions and a lot of good stuff that i post in there so uh, thanks again for listening to fresh is the word and remember go out there and live life with intensity with a capital 10 goodbye and good night fresh, 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 fresh is the word